Well, good evening. Man, that was bad. Let's try it over here. On the blue side, good evening. Good evening. On the red side, good evening. Okay, the blue one. Uh, you know, Brother Wagner, I don't understand why. Now, he's tried to do this competition before different Hatfields, McCoys. What I don't understand, considering everything going on in our country, why this isn't the Democrats and the Republicans. You've got blue and red. Yeah, it might be bad. That's right. Uh, and uh, I forgot to say this. You make sure on this side of the country, this side of the mountains, you vote. Now, we have early voting, and my family, four of us, all went Friday afternoon and voted. It was easy. I'm sure Tennessee has early voting, doesn't it? Yeah. Listen, folks, make sure you cast your vote. Remember, and I talked about this last year, make sure you vote. For the reason I make sure I vote. No, it's not that spiritual. I vote because that way I have a right to complain for the next two years. If you don't vote, you don't have a right to complain. Don't give up that right. I, I do want to encourage you. Get out there and cast your vote and uh, trust God. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, my wife and I enjoyed the luncheon and uh, got to go over to the Reigns Regency. That's what I call it, and took my nap. And I got to tell you, it's 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 really a blessing to be with uh, Denver and Dorcas. You know, I learned things about the Wagners I didn't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they love their pastor, and uh, it's been such a joy to be back with you. Um, I thank God every week for your pastor. And um, would you pray for Bible Baptist Temple? In Warner Robins, Georgia, there's a very well-known Air Force installation down there. In fact, the church is only four miles from it. I didn't realize it's not really an Air Force base. It's an Air Force depot. But they employ over 8,000 civilians. That's where they test the jets and, and build them. And that church at one time was a, a pretty good-sized church, had a large Christian school, they're down to about 35, and the school has 12. That's kind of the name of what's going on. But i got to tell you, there's some great people in that church. And I really enjoy the retired military guys. I mean, I think every guy in the church is, is a retired Army, Air Force, so they're very patriotic. And pray for them. It's, uh, they, they found a family that I think they're going to candidate. And it happened very quickly. And I'm, I'm glad for that. Uh, secondly, I don't want to drive five hours one way. And did I tell you, I've got to drive through Atlanta to get to that church. That's a nightmare <laughs> of itself, but God's given me uh, great grace. And one thing about going through Atlanta, you don't see deer. Uh, thank you for letting me be here. Tonight, I want to preach to you out of Philippians chapter 4. I thought Brother Wendell was going to get to my message tonight, but he, shot, he stopped just short of where we're going to read tonight. I'll ask you a question. This change of weather, and by the way, uh, yesterday down in North Carolina, we were told it was going to get cooler, but they said up in the mountains, it's really going to get cool. Sure enough, we got up and walked out the front doors of the motel, and you could feel a little wind chill. Okay, well, like you guys, it's been warm. 
And, you know, when weather changes, some people, they don't do well. They get sick. And I love the fall and I love being in Tennessee. I thought the leaves would have changed, but I think we're a week early because I think by next Saturday with these cold nights, we might see it. But I, I, I told Pastor the drive up here was still just beautiful. I forgot how nice it is to come over to Tennessee. And if I ever stop, I want to live over here, if you'll have me. I just think it's beautiful. And Tennessee people are okay people. They're okay people. South Carolina people are very different than you. They are. And North Carolina people are different than you. I just kind of like living over here. Although, the one thing you need to add to your culture is liver mush. Remember liver mush now. Uh, they don't have it over here. And uh, next week, Shelby, North Carolina, is self uh, they self-christened themselves the liver mush capital of the world. What a great title. And people come from all over nowhere to eat scads and, and chunks and mounds of liver mush. Dan, are you hungry yet? He never heard of it either until he came to Ambassador. And liver mush is just awesome. And you know, people go, liver mush? Why would you put two words together that are nasty? First liver and then mush. Oh, I love it. I love it. Once in a while, I'll just go to the store, Walmart, and get a block of it. And, uh, and uh, you can get spicy, and, and you, you just cut it real thin and fry it on both sides with eggs. Man, I'm already hungry. If you ever come to visit me, I'll throw on the liver mush for you, okay? When weather changes, people respond very differently. Um, my wife, all this summer, has been saying she's warm, she's warm, she's warm. Any day, I'm going to hear, is the heat on? Because the air's been on. You know, it reminds me that today, I told you this morning, I've seen this more and more, and so have you, that our nation has become a culture of, of divided people, and really, both Republican and Democrat, we become a people that are unthankful and ungrateful. Uh, but I've seen that kind of leach itself into Christianity, where even the young people I teach, I was talking to Dan and Kelly, it's not the same. When their generation came to school, what year did you come? 2008, 10 years ago. Folks, it's different teaching young people from Christian homes. They're different. And one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of times, young people today are not as thankful, not as grateful. So I ask you, based on what Paul's going to share with us tonight, are you a, now listen to the word contented Christian. Are you a contented Christian? Or are you like a thermometer or a thermostat? Some believers are thermometers. Whatever's going on outside, that's what they are. If it's hot, they, they get hot. If it's cold, they, they get cold. A thermostat stays the same. In fact, a thermometer reacts to what's going on outside of itself, good or bad. A thermostat, it dictates what it's going to be like. And, and some Christians, they're thermometers. Pastor, they're up, they're down. They're up and they're down. Whatever happened that week at work or whatever happened at home, or they're up or they're down. But I, I believe the Bible's going to teach us tonight that that is not God's will for us as His children. God's will is we're more like a thermostat. Yes, things go bad. Sometimes they're good. We stay the same in Jesus Christ. 
And I think that you and I need to see the three things Paul mentions to us about how he learned to be a contented Christian. I want you, and by the way, it makes me think of this uh, illustration. Uh, I believe it was our, my wife and I, our first Christmas married. Um, I believe it was. Our, her parents, because she's always cold, and that's typical of women. I get that, okay? Uh, I think it started in the garden. You know, because, you know, when, when Eve was brought to Adam, the Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. But as soon as sin came, the first words out of Eve's mouth were, oh, it's chilly here. I just know it. And my wife, she tends to be, especially when we're in bed, she's cold. She's got all the covers up here. I tend to be the opposite. You guys like me? I'll start out, don't cover me up. Now, I might be covered up by the morning. Well, my in-laws decided to give us a very nice a very expensive electric blanket. I mean, it cost them a lot of money. And the thing about it, it had dual controls. And I thought, that is really neat. Because I wasn't about to let my wife run the control, you know. So we get it all set up, and we go to bed. And a few minutes after, you know, she, she says, why is it so cold? Now, this is Wisconsin, right, wasn't it, in the apartment? And I said, well, I feel fine. I said, well, turn up your control. About five minutes later, she says, Joel, something's wrong. I don't think you plugged it in. I'm freezing. And I went, what are you talking about? It's warm. And you probably know where the story's going to go. About the third time, she said, would you please check to see if it's plugged in? And I rolled over and said, what's wrong with you? And beads of sweat were coming down my face. And I threw it off. And I said, I don't know what's wrong with your side. We had the, the control switched. <laughs> She's turning it up. I'm, I just turned it off. I had turned her side off. You know, this week, last week, next month, this coming month, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know what's taken place in the past. And my dear friends here at Bible Baptist, this has been, you have to admit, an interesting year. Not just here at church, but in your home and where you work and maybe your health. God's the only one that knows what's going to take place tomorrow. And Paul shares, I think, one of the most powerful truths about his life. And he shares his own testimony about how God kept him a thermostat, a contented Christian. Now, when you read the book of Philippians, you already know, where did Paul write this book from? It's referred to, Philippians, as one of the four prison epistles. Paul would write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon from prison. He's writing this from prison. He's writing it to one of his favorite churches. But even they had to buckle up. Paul says, number one, in verse 10, the reason that I have learned to be a contented Christian, and he's going to use that word, by the way, in a verse, verse 11. But he he says, there's, there's three things that God taught me while I was in prison that have helped me at this stage of my life to be content. And the first one's found in verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last, that phrase means literally now at the last minute, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Paul literally says, 
I need to tell you one more thing. While I was here, I received at the very last minute the time when God knew I needed this gift from you, but I didn't know it was coming. You had sent it a long time ago, but at the very last minute, when God knew I needed it, your gift came. So what Paul's acknowledging here is you and I, like him, in prison, will never be content until we believe, number one, in the providence of God. Do you understand Paul was acknowledging that he, he got excited because he realized that he had needs and God had already, many weeks before, prompted the heart of this local church that loved Paul to send something that he did need. And when it came, it hit him. Wait a minute. God knew and put on their hearts a long time ago to send this to me. And I am so thankful for it. Paul was acknowledging what we forget as God's children, the providence of God. Listen, no one in the universe is omniscient. Satan is not omniscient. Satan does not have providence. Let me take the word apart, pro-video. Pro means before, video means to see. Our Father is the only one that can see beforehand what's going to happen to us. And Paul was saying, it occurred to me, that God's in charge of my life, my future, even in prison. He said, God knew I needed to be here to receive that gift. The word greatly, where he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, is the word mega, megalos. In other words, Paul, when it occurred to him, my father knew I'd be in prison right now, and yet look what, what, what you sent me. God knew I needed it right now in prison. It wouldn't have meant near as much. Had, had I known it was coming, had I been maybe free, but it meant so much to me, Paul said, I'm thankful that my God knows beforehand what's going to take place. Do you realize you and I will never be content? Never. If we don't every day acknowledge, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen today, but you do. Would you give me the grace and would you give me the thankfulness to be ready? Not everything that takes place every day is very good. In fact, bad things happen to God's people, don't they? Hard things, cancer things, death, divorce, bankruptcy. These happen to God's people. But you know, when you begin to think like Paul began to think in prison, God knows before it ever happens, it'll be all right. Because I believe in the providence of God, the faithful providence of God. Now, we talk about knowing things. But folks, we just become experts on the past. In fact, we have a saying. Hindsight is, yeah, isn't that amazing? We can look backwards and become experts because we've experienced it. In fact, we can see things coming now because we've been through them in the past. But our Father in heaven isn't bound by the past. He can see the future very clearly. Aren't you glad for the providence of God? This has been an unusual year for Bible Baptist Church. I'm sure in many ways, in ways in which I don't even understand. But I can make this promise. Church family, you'll be content if you acknowledge in your life the faithful providence of God. Number two, Paul goes on to say in verses 11 through 13 that we must Believe in the fulfilling power of God. Excuse me, the fulfilling pedagogy of God. The faithful providence of God, the fulfilling pedagogy of God. 
The word pedagogy means child training. Child training. And I don't care who the oldest saint in this room is. We never are older than our Father in heaven. And there's no one here, no matter who the oldest saints are, that doesn't need to continue to learn and grow. That's true of me. That's true of you. And did you know Paul said, I am so thankful for the fulfilling pedagogy of God. He's going to share three things that he learned. Now remember, catch what Paul says. I could only learn these three things while in prison. You realize you look back, some of you like me, and you look at some of the things that have happened to you and how hard they were. And yet, wouldn't you admit with me as a child of God, those are some of the most precious times of learning between you and your father. You know, there are times that we try to run from darkness and we try to run from pain and we try to run from bad things. But sometimes, like Paul, Paul said, you know what? God put me here in this prison. If you read the book of Acts, chapter 28, the Bible tells us Paul would stay in this prison under house arrest for two years. You know, that must have driven that evangelist crazy. Can you imagine putting Paul under house arrest, putting him in prison, and all he wanted to do was travel and lead people to Christ and plant churches and, and be used of God for two years? He sat there. But he admits to us tonight, I learned some things, and I'm thankful now because I would not have listened and I would not have understood the pedagogy of God. I can promise you tonight, if you're listening and you're a Christian, there are going to be times God's going to be teaching you these things, if He hasn't already. I want you to see in verse 11, He talks about learning to be independent. The Bible says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be, what's the word? You know, it's interesting. The word learn has the idea of learn by experience. Paul said, I'm finally to the place. He was saved around 30 years of age. He's, by the time he writes this, he's been in the ministry about 20 some years. He'll live another 10, maybe 13 years. At this stage of his life, he's in his prime and God stopped him and sat him in a prison. And Paul said, you know what? It finally occurred to me. God, there's no accidents with God. My God, who is the providential one, the one who sees before, has finally gotten through my thick skull. That's, there are some things here in prison I need to learn. And the first thing Paul said I learned in this pedagogy of God was I can be content no matter what situation I'm in. He says in whatsoever state I am. Let's reword that. Whatever state of being I'm in, whatever circumstance my life has taken, God is teaching me here in prison, and I can promise you Paul didn't want to be there. He said, even in prison, God's taught me I can be content. You know, the word content is used by Paul more than all the other writers together. He would say in 1 Timothy 6, 8, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. The word literally means to be independent, to be self-contained, to not react, to be in a place in your life where you don't have to react to the circumstances of life. That's not even a goal for some Christians. It is for spiritual Christians. Every one of us in this room, and maybe especially me, we need to learn to be content. We need to learn that no matter what happens this coming week, I can be independent in Christ. I have all the things I need in Jesus Christ. 
Now, folks, that is an impossible thing to learn on our own. It's impossible to learn that when we only go through the good times. But Paul said, you know what? I have learned in whatsoever state I am, God's taught me by experience now in prison to be content. Number two, he talks about being instructed. Now, this is amazing. Paul says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul says, you know, I've learned some things I didn't know. Yes, I've been on the road. Yes, God saved me miraculously. Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus. God's let me be the apostle to the Gentiles, but there's something I just learned. And it was here in prison. He says, I've learned that sometimes the way God instructs me is very, very precious. By the way, he says this instruction taught him how to be content, whether he was abased or whether he abound. The word abased means to be thrown down, to be stepped on. He said, you know what I've learned? It doesn't matter in my life whether I'm being abased or I abound, and I have everything I want. God is teaching me to be a contented Christian. You know, some Christians really struggle. It shows up immediately in the church attendance. Some people don't come to church because they don't like the pastor. Or they don't come to church for some other reason. And some Christians will miss church because they had a bad day at work. That's not the way God wants His children to live. You know, if anything, having a bad day, having a, a health report of cancer, you know, your loved one's in an accident, think about it. The first place you ought to be on Sunday is with the Lord and His people. They can cover you in prayer. Paul said, I've had to learn this. Some Christians do. They struggle when they're abased. Other Christians struggle when they abound. And, you know, there, there comes a place where they have everything. And for a long time, they don't need God. In fact, it's been a long time since they thanked God for all they have. Paul said, I've just learned. God has taught me something I really never saw before. That no matter the state of my life, the circumstances, whether I'm in a place of being abased or I'm in a place of being abound and having everything, Paul says, I have learned. Now the word instructed in verse 12, this is an unusual word. It's hardly ever used. It literally means a secret ritual knowledge. A secret ritual initiation. It would be something akin in our day to maybe what Freemasons claim they do to their people that join the lodge. And I'm not advocating Freemasonry. You can meet me out in the parking lot. My wife's with me. I feel safe. But uh, uh, listen, I teach on Freemasonry. Can a Christian be a Freemason? Yes. Can a spiritual Christian be a Freemason? No. Did you hear what I said? I know Freemasonry. And there are lots of them in Tennessee and in North Carolina. I'm not here to preach against Freemasonry, but I'm telling you, it's interesting. The word used here by the Holy Spirit, Paul said, only here in prison was I initiated in a very, very sacred knowledge. And God could only show me in prison. You know, it makes me think that Paul, that 
Paul was admitting, in my Christian life, God has been trying to teach me these things. But I guess I was here. I was there. I was in this city. I was in that city. I was escaping out of Thessalonica. I met the sweet Bereans. I moved. It's like Paul saying, but I never really listened. I never really understood what I understand now. It's a precious secret thing that God has taught me that I can be content. Whether I'm being beaten down, abased, whether times are good and I have a nice place to lay my head and I've had three meals and I have friends. Paul said it doesn't matter. I'm instructed both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. There are times in our lives... Now, Paul's not saying, you know, some days I just feel hyper-spiritual. And I go out and I want someone to beat me down. I just want to say, come on, Lord, bring it on. I want to starve. No one does that, and Paul didn't either. But he said, you know what I learned in prison? Even when I don't get enough to eat, and even if I'm shackled in a prison, God's still with me. And God still wants to teach me, and He watches over me. And He said, you know, I learned something, and it's so precious to me. Before it was hidden from me, but now I've been literally allowed to see it, that I'll be okay. I can be content. Not only the independence of being contented, not only this wonderful instruction that Paul was thanking the Lord for, but he also then gives, in verse 13, an insistent. You see that instruction? You see, that independence he had in being content allowed him to make a very strong, dogmatic statement. And that verse, all of you recognize, even if you've been saved just a a few years or you've been saved a long time, many believers and many pastors quote that verse. But now you know the context. See, it's almost wrong for you and I to quote that verse and say, I can do all if we haven't been instructed. In those times, that seemed hard for us. But once you've gone through those dark times, those tough times, and you come out the other side and you say, I needed that. Lord, your pedagogy is so fulfilling. I guess I would have never learned if I hadn't been in that prison, that part of my life where you were teaching me, even here in this state of being, I can be content. Lord, even in this this confined time, this difficult time in my life when I didn't know how I'd escape, during that time, you were very sweet and taught me secret things that I, maybe, Lord, you were teaching me, but I never listened before I do now. So that you can say the same thing. Then you can say the same thing, Paul says. I can do all things. Now, folks, he's in prison. It didn't matter. Paul said here in prison, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And listen, if Paul hadn't gone to prison, do you realize we wouldn't have those four precious books? Do you realize Christianity for 20 centuries, different people, I have students and God's people that will say, my favorite book is Ephesians. Oh, I love the book of Ephesians. Some people say, I love Philippians. Some love Colossians, and it is a tremendous book. Colossians is not as easy to absorb sometimes because he's dealing with so many different isms and spasms that were hitting Christianity. And the book of Philemon, hardly anyone reads, but it's a beautiful picture of Christ in the center. You know, so many of us would not have the, I wouldn't even have this message. I wouldn't even have this truth to you tonight if Paul had not understood. 
I can do all things. Even in prison, God's moving me to write four books. That's pretty powerful. So he talks about his contentment was based on his faithful understanding and believing in the faithful providence of God. Willing to be taught the pedagogy of God. And in closing, he talks about the rest of the chapter, the fathomless promises of God. Listen, you and I will not be content. All three of these things have to be true. Brother Spencer, I believe in the providence of God. I believe God can see in the future. Do you really? Because if you and I really believe that God sees and will take care of his children, then maybe you're, you're getting there. Number two, have you been willing in the tar- dark times, the hard times, to sit down and be instructed? That pedagogy, that child training? Have you been willing to be quiet and listen to the Lord as he tries to help you and instruct you? I meet Christians. I met some here. They go through horrible things. We have students. I tell you, they, they humble me. They tell their testimonies in class, and I sit there and think, how could they go through? They're 18 years old. How could they go through this? And I feel very humble. I feel about that big. I think their faith is so much stronger than mine. The truth is there are people in this room, and you don't have to say amen or raise your hand, but you know as well as Brother Spencer that Paul is right. There have been some dark times in our lives that, yes, we made it through, and we can lift our hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm a better son. I'm a better daughter for having been instructed by you. You see, I guess we're too thick-headed. We're too stubborn. We're too busy running the rat race sometimes for God to get our attention. And once in a while, God has to set us aside and kind of put us in a, a, a quiet place, a dark place, a hard place, a prison. No one wants to go there. But are you willing tonight to thank the Lord? He's trying to make you and I content. But Paul ends on such a positive note. He says, and don't forget the promises of God. In verses 14 through 17, Paul tells us, Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, and remember Macedonia is where Philippi was, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul was thankful for their continued giving, but he said, you know what I really was thankful for? That God was going to take care of you, church. God was always going to take care of you. But he reminds us here, that word communicate, it's twice. Did you see it? Communicate? It literally has this idea. When you give... Philippi, when you gave to me, you partnered with my ministry. Folks, you were a giving church. You always have been. You love missions. You you were very kind to me when I came here. You did more than just take care of my expenses. You are a giving church. Let me tell you something that I'll encourage you tonight. Even sometimes when life isn't going the way we want, and we should say, Lord, I heard what Paul said there in Philippians, and I know you're trying to teach me. Folks, a good, healthy sign of a church, even when it's struggling, is that they give. Did you know what Paul just said? 
when a church gives, that church partners with the person they give to. So let's say you have, um, I think Brother Wagner told me, is it 100 missionaries? How many missionaries? How many? Not, okay, I missed by one. All right. 99 missionaries. Do you know what Paul tells us? That every time you send your love gift to that missionary, you are communicating, literally partnering with their ministry. That's awesome. That's awesome. When Brother Sturgill comes, and you will enjoy Cody Sturgill. Cody is a tremendous preacher out of Fletcher, North Carolina. And you give him that love offering. Do you realize that means that your church has joined with Pastor Sturgill's needs and you have partnered with him? That is such an awesome thought. You know, a lot of times people give, but they don't understand God's promised them, when you get to heaven, you as a local church are going to be blessed and rewarded as a church family because you over and over and for year after year, you communicated to God's people. And God kept an account of that. One day, I believe your church family will hear from the Lord and he'll say, good job. Bible Baptist Church, thank you for being so faithful for so many decades, supporting all these missionaries, all those evangelists, taking care of your pastor, taking care of one another. It's a great promise. But I love the second part when Paul talks about the promises of God. And listen, we need to know the promises of God. When we get discouraged, it's great to know God's always a promise-keeping God. And Paul goes on to say in verse 18, But I have all and abound. I am full. Now I have to stop and ask you one more time. Where is Paul when he writes, I have all, I am full, I abound? What? Paul, how can you do this? Paul said, I'm content. I know God is a, is a providential God. Why should I worry about tomorrow? He knows what's going to happen, and he promised to take care of me. And in fact, i got to tell you Philippians, there's just some sweet things between God and I that I didn't know I needed to learn. But boy, have I learned them in prison. And I'm so thankful they're changing my life. In fact, they changed me so much, Paul said. I can't wait to get out of this place because I can do all things through Christ. It sounds almost to a lost person. Is this guy crazy? He's in prison. He could die. But Paul understood some things. He understood that God's training me and teaching me. And then he says, God's made some promises about your giving in my life. He says, I have all and abound and in full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God, now brethren, it doesn't say my government. And we as American Christians need to be careful. Democrat or Republican. I'm thankful for the right government and we need to pray for our government and you need to vote. But when it all comes down to it, we as born again people thank our God. Governments will fail you. Men will fail you. But your God will never fail you. And, but my God shall supply all your need. And I know you've heard preachers say it doesn't say greed. God shall supply all your need, watch this, according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A long time ago, 
And I, maybe you've not heard this. If you haven't, it's time you do. But our Bible does not say, but my God shall supply all your need out of his riches in glory. Now, it could have said that, and I would have been satisfied with that. As a human being, I would have thought, wow, God is so rich. My Father in heaven has so much. I'll take a little bit. But what's so incredibly infinite is it doesn't say out of his riches. It says according to his riches. This is how I look at that. If I were to write a check, and just like you, I put it in the debit side. I write a check to someone, all right, that $100 comes out of my bank account. Do you realize that when God writes a check, when God sends his love gift to you and me, it doesn't even show up in his ledger because he doesn't have any debts. He doesn't miss anything. He's so wealthy and he owns so much. And Paul said, out of that heavenly bank account, God shall supply all your needs. He never misses it. You know, God never says, hmm. And churches, sometimes we have to go through this. Do we pay for a new air conditioner or a new roof? Do we pay for new carpeting or a new Sunday school edition? I mean, we have to do that. And we have to be wise about how we spend our money, right? Because, yes, we do have debit sides in our banking. God doesn't. And God made a promise to you, church, and to you individual members. God will always take care of your needs. And he will do it out of his, according to his riches. I don't understand what that wealth is like. And maybe when I get to heaven, I will, because I'll own everything. Remember, ladies, all the most beautiful gold and jewels and pearls, they're yours. You know you have an address, ladies, in heaven? Jesus said he'll prepare. I preach that. Remember the cube, the New Jerusalem? Each side has three gates. They're of one solid pearl, 1,500 miles tall. One pearl, 12 of them. And ladies, you walk in and out whenever you want. And you walk on those streets of pure gold. What was the most precious thing now on earth is the most common thing in heaven. It's yours. It's there. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's been at it for 2,000 years. You can mark it down. It's waiting for you. Sometimes we forget about those promises that this life is not the end. And as I said to you guys when I was here a year ago, we won! We won as Christians. King Jesus is Lord of all. And we are His sons and co-heirs. We won. I know this journey, this part of life, we wonder sometimes who's going to win in November. We won. We wonder how the next presidential election will go, because the last uh, president before that for eight years, it got rough, but we, even eight years ago, we won. And when death comes to knock at our door, we won. Why are so many Christians so discontented? Why are so many believers tonight thermometers instead of thermostats? They're not content. You see, they are not willing to acknowledge in the faithful providence of God. Number two, they're not willing to be taught the pedagogy of God. And sometimes God has to set us down or lay us down. 
where we can't move. And we have to be taught wonderful things. And many times we forget the promises of God. You can't outgive God. Have you tried? You can't outgive God. And I would like to encourage you tonight. Be a contented Christian. I'm so glad that God doesn't have a verse that says, be contented or else. I'm glad that he is more interested in me being contented than I am. And he's willing tonight to help some of you that maybe came in tonight, even tonight, a little discontented, discombobulated. That's a Yankee word. And I still don't know what it means, but I think it means discontented. If you came tonight that way, would you let God help you to understand he wants you to be contented. Whatsoever state I am, there would to be content. If, I had my, if it was within my power, and if it was in my ability, I would snap my finger and say, from now on, none of my friends at Bible Baptist will ever have a dark day. No one will ever go without. You will have all the money you need. You see, I think I might be tempted to do that for you. But you see, the problem with that is Paul said, oh, the things you would miss out. And no one really learns to, did you see the um, lottery? That's all the news is talking about. The, the, the two major lotteries in America are over a billion. It's like a billion and a half dollars this week. A billion? And all these lost reporters, big grins. Yeah, I'm going to go out. I don't play the lottery, but I'm going to go do it. You know what? What if someone here, don't you do it? One, a billion and a half dollars. Do you po- are you possibly that spiritually ignorant to think that would make you content? Contentment only comes from God. And you and I just learned tonight the secrets of being content. They're really not secrets at all. In Illinois, back when I was a young pastor in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I'll never forget, um, the lottery started becoming popular. Illinois was the first state in the union to have a statewide lottery. You know the education lotteries, they call it? Well, um, and I, ha- I just ran across the article the other day. This goes back to 1985. This pastor in Illinois, he was, he was um, I think he was 40. He preached against it. It came anyway, and he thundered. He, he told his people he'd open his Bible and tell them why it's wrong to play the lottery. Well, unbeknownst to him, his wife just on a fluke, went by and bought one dollar lot, just one. She won. I think it was three million dollars. They tracked him down. And they said in the article, the reporter said, now you, I understand you preach against the lottery. He said, yes, I do. Well, what did you do? What did your wife do when she found out she won and came to you? What did you say? And his answer was, well, I just told myself, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But I bet if you went back and met that man, he'd tell you, you know, that was a long time ago. But that's not the source of my wife and I's contentment. Folks, do you realize tonight we are not of this world? We live in this world. And God never intended us to ever feel like we're orphans or without. And if we're not careful, we can get sucked up in this discontentment. This thinking of ingratitude. No, God's will for you and for me is to be a thermostat. Just stay with God. 
I think it's interesting, over in chapter 4, verse 2, there were at least two named members of this church that were not contented. In fact, there were women. He says, I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. This is a little side note. I can't wait to get to heaven. You're going to meet a lot of people. And you're going to meet Bible characters. And during handshaking time, maybe Brother Wagner is going to lead music for a little while. By the way, I think it's great that he's taking you through your hymnal. It's really sad how many of God's people never know the precious doctrine and theology of many of these songs. But Brother Wagner's leading singing, and all of a sudden he says, let's shake hands. Well, that could last a million years. Who cares? We don't go to bed. It never gets night. And we eat all the time. And you're shaking hands. And you walk up, and there's a lady, and she puts her hand out. And you say, hello, my name is Walter Wagner. And she says, well, I'm Udeus. And Brother Wagner goes, Udeus. She goes, yes, yes, I'm one of the two women that Paul had to rebuke in the church. I've long settled it with my sister, Syntyche. We get along just great now. The problem with these two dear ladies that, by the way, were part of this church and Paul led them to Christ is they were discontented and they had grown discontented with each other. God doesn't want that in our life. Will you be a contented Christian? Would you bow your heads with me tonight?